0: Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of the Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts.
2: Welcome to The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. And to say that Kristen Arnett's Mostly Dead Things is the most talked about novel these days among the booksellers at Books and Books is to utter an understatement. From the moment galleys hit our landing docks, fights erupted over who would get one. Many knew Kristen because they are ardent followers of her on social media, Twitter specifically, and others because they read her first book, that wonderful collection of short fiction, felt in the jaw, and they fell in love with her sensibility immediately. What is most evident, though, is that everyone here, all of us at Books and Books, admires the fearless way she writes about Florida, her fierce sense of humor, and her honest, most natural way she identifies as a queer writer. Her new novel, Mostly Dead Things, possesses all these qualities. In a glowing review, the New York Times puts it this way. Eden of dangerous things, the novelist Lauren Groff once described Florida, Zora Neale Hurston famously wrote of the ground so rich that everything went wild, not least the writers themselves. What other state so reliably produces such rowdy, uninhibited imaginations? Hurston, Kelly Link, Karen Russell, Alyssa Nutting, Laura Vandenberg, Janine capo cruset they have created a literature full of mirages and actual sinkholes poised on the hazy borders between man and nature, ripeness and rot, tragedy and gag, and life and death in the case of Kristen Arnett's Mostly Dead Things, an irresistible first novel set in the hard sunshine and juicy green of central Florida, featuring a family of taxidermists, suicides, and ruthless intimacies, a clan after Diane Arbus's very heart. This book is my song of the summer, says the reviewer. And it's been the song of the summer for all of us at Books and Books. And I want to welcome Kristen Arnett to Literary Life. Welcome,
1: Chris. Thank you so much for having me.
2: And we have just gotten a delivery of the coffee I promised you last I'm night. I'm so excited. <laughs> you ordered a cappuccino yes, with I did. milk. Yes. And I have a cortadito with almond milk. I don't know why the almond milk. I think it's because I'm trying to forestall something. I don't know what it is. We had a wonderful event last night. Yeah. It was really great. And I know you ran off with a few of our staff members. We as did. Well, we
1: went and got beers. It was good. <laughs>
2: beers and Taco Bell. Yes. And went to a great <laughs> bar as well. So that's great. We share so many things. And there's so many things that make us so different. I'm old. You're young. But I grew up in Miami. You grew up in Orlando. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in
1: Orlando. Yeah. Um. I would say... Uh, it feels like it feels like the most like home of any place to me. Like even now when I go other places. I've never lived anywhere else other than other than Orlando. I mean I've lived I guess I lived in Gainesville for a couple of years, but it still just felt like being on vacation for a little while. Well you're also
2: like a fourth generation. Yes.
1: Person. Um yeah, everyone I know is there. It's um it is it's still a thing too, where I get up every day and I feel like Really excited and happy to be there. There's just this feeling that feels. I talked about it a little last night, but it just feels so alive to me. It feels like it always feels like the air's touching me. Or that like I'm, every time I get off the plane coming home, and I feel that feeling of like Florida air on me. It feels I'm like I feel comfortable again. It's like a very comfortable kind of thing, but also just continuously so interesting to me like I really I really love being in Orlando
2: well among the things you do is you write essays Mm -hmm. and you also are very prolific uh throughout all the little magazines and larger magazines as well Mm -hmm. and you wrote this really really wonderful piece that I came across I guess it was in Lit Hub Mm -hmm. about about your connection to Florida
1: yeah uh and I felt glad that they wanted to publish that because that piece was really close to my heart. Um, I spent a, I spent a little while on it because the way that it, the genesis of it was that I was, I'd seen some people writing about Florida that didn't live here and I got aggravated by it. And then I wanted, and I, I was like, okay, now I had to ask myself this question about why this is so frustrating to me, like reading work by people that don't live here.
2: Isn't it pretty amazing how people <coughs> just... Yeah, They they sort of like to dump on Florida. Somewhere.
1: Yeah. And there's that. And then it's just this idea that Florida is all one thing, right? Oh, which, boy. you know, we, we know, know that's that it's not, not true. <laughs> so like right if you're writing about Orlando, you're not writing about Miami. You're not writing about the panhandle. You're not right. writing about the Keys. Like you're writing about very, you know, Florida is like very broad with a lot of different kinds of people and different kinds of culture. So I, I don't know. I just sat in that and I was like. I think that's how an essay usually starts for me anyway. I have something that's bothering me or a question I I want to unpack.
2: I don't know if this is the way you begin it, but you write it so beautifully. Uh, it's something that I pulled from the from the essay. You write, what is Florida history? Often it feels like the surgical removal of memory, cutting, slicing out the parts that make us feel bad. We pave over the old and put on the new. We are a city of constant reconstruction. We are a city filled with rotted holes. We are a place looking for stability and finding quicksand. Mm-hmm. Now, you wrote that about Orlando. I did, but yes. I grew up in Miami Beach, and I can tell you it was very similar. Yeah, you know my
1: experience mm-hmm. there. I think uh, I was looking at round two in Orlando uh, so much because I know so much of uh, Florida. We, you know, we live on the the, the tourist dollar we do and so it means different things about like what what gets to stay and what gets like what gets to what gets redone what gets I don't know preference and uh I was watching all these places in Orlando that I'd grown up like being around like there's this place called the Red Fox Lounge that was like down right you talk about me. that yeah, yeah. and that was and it was then, a strip joint at one point yeah the, there was like and then there's there's just so many places and then they're they're just gone and I would ask people about them and people were like I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Right, and it would it would be so. I was fascinated by that. I was like so interested to know like why, why people choose what people choose to remember, what what gets. To Were stay. these people
2: who live there during yes. during yeah. the time, so they should have remembered.
1: Should have, and I was like, what? And then people are like, no. I, I and some of it, I wonder too, is just like only wanting to remember the new thing, like to remember like. To forget the old thing is a dangerous thing. I think. Oh, and
2: I think that goes throughout all of life. Yes. I think we have to remember the shoulders we stand on. Yeah. No matter where we are in mm-hmm. life.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree because I think um, it's important to know where where you come from or where you know how that travels like the through line. But I also think it's like if you don't remember things, the bad stuff especially, then it repeats itself or has the opportunity to. So um i don't know i just and i love orlando and i love those little pockets of places that i grew up around and i it makes me so sad when they leave those those places like there's the snow cone place that's like right by my house
2: now are they getting gentrified or is it it's getting gentrified more than anything else it
1: is um a lot of those places like even if they've been there for like so long like they just can't afford the the prices because the areas are they want the areas to be more up and coming they want more foot traffic um then they raise the the rent prices so like places just can't afford to stay there anymore the place that i had my book launch uh park ave cds used to be on park avenue in winter park right. when i was growing up and they bumped up the the, the cost so much i think like and and insane amount that they couldn't stay there anymore so park ave cds is moved and it's a different place in a different place it's no longer on park ave Um, but it's at least that place still got to it's facing
2: a a lot of small business everywhere. yeah Mm -hmm. for for those people who are listening who don't really know the geography of florida and i find that lots of book publicists don't Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they
2: say oh well she's appearing in tampa and she can be there you know, a couple hours later and yeah. that sort of thing, not just book publishers. I don't want to talk yeah. about them, but, but it's others as well. Talk about, you know, where Orlando is in relation to Miami, in relation to the northern
1: part of the yeah. state. Yeah. Um, so I'm right up in the center of the state is Orlando. And it's about like, I you know, usually, it's like about like a f- almost a four hour drive to get down here, right. um, which is... You know, that's a, a sizable chunk of time because Florida is very big. And it takes about, I would say it takes about four hours to get up to Tallahassee as well. Yeah, it
2: takes about, I think, eight or ten hours to get out of Florida from Miami, it, actually.
1: Yeah, it's a its a trip because yeah. the state is big. It's a it's long It's a very state. long state. Yeah.
2: But it's also a world of difference. Yes. In, you know, just in terms of tenor, in terms of, mm-hmm. t- in terms of the way it is. I'll give you a little anecdote of what happened to me, and this will obviously show our age differential So when I was in high school, I grew up in Miami Beach in the 70s, mid-70s, early 70s. Uh, There's a great documentary out called The Last Resort that you should watch. Mm -hmm. It's about the aging Miami Beach that I grew up in during the baby boom period when there were basically no kids. Everybody (laughs) with the median age of Miami Beach was 68. I couldn't wait to leave. (laughs) And so two friends of mine and I we decided to take, in those days, parents didn't go on college trips with you. Mm-hmm. So we decided to take a car, and we went driving in the Northeast. Uh-huh. And we stopped, we saw a sign on the Florida Turnpike that said, opening soon, Disney World. <laughs> and I, it was opening like like the next month or uh-huh. so. But, but some of it was open. So we went to Disney World. And the only thing opened there then was it's a small, small world. It was the only ride. <laughs> so here are three seventeen year old long haired kids <laughs> going around and around on it's a small, small world. Yeah. And there was nothing in Orlando. I mean Orlando oh, was a yeah. little small nothing town. Yeah. And you didn't even think of Orlando as a as a as a place of any kind of growth. Yeah. And and that was, you know, forty Five years ago or mm-hmm. so. And so the amazing growth of that whole area, yeah. which was basically your and your parents growing up, yeah, is kind of amazing to think about and where it is now.
1: It is. Um, that's something, too, like I used to ask my parents about because, yeah, they they grew up there and went to high school there. What brought them there? Uh, my, uh, my grandparents um, were born there. Uh, well, my grandma, I guess my grandma was born in Fort Myers. But my grandpa was born in... Um, over in like Orlando area. And, uh, I know that, um, it I think it was jobs for both of them, just some kind of, some kind of jobs for my, for my great grandparents.
2: What work did they do?
1: Um, I think that, I think that my, my grandpa's dad was doing real estate stuff at the time. And I know that my, um, my grandma's dad was like doing a, was running a grocery store. He came in to do a grocery store like in Fort Myers. Um and then they
2: moved to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yes. And had your parents. Yes.
1: Um and then and then my uh grandparents did they they did a bunch of different stuff. They ran an antique store there. They did real estate. They did um um, the antique store was my favorite. They used to go pick up all these loads of furniture. Was that from in Winter Park yeah, yeah. Uh, they used to go pick up these loads of furniture from people's houses. Like they'd go to state sales, and they would be like, Well, we're going to go pick up a load. <laughs> With, like, this giant trailer, and they'd go pick up all this furniture and And you'd go it into by. their house. Yeah. And see it. So it was always really interesting to see, like, the, <coughs> different, the different kinds of houses in Orlando and the different kinds of people. Because also, growing up, like, we didn't have like any money or anything. So it was always very fascinating to go into a house where someone had stairs. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is like a this is a nice house. This two-story house. No,
2: and you talk about the house that you grew up in in yeah, that Yeah, I do. Uh, and it, and it it was a very modest house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
1: It and, was very small. It was a rental and it was um it was behind a topless bar. It's no right. longer a topless bar. It was like turned into a brunch place and now I think it's a dog cleaning business. <laughs> The last time I drove past. But it was off the highway as well, yes, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and like also very close to um, like a water treatment facility, like a waste treatment. Oh, when you talk about the smell. It was a very interesting, you can, you smell it and you're like, oh, you can, it smells like that waste, wastewater smell. smell. Uh,
2: and these memories are, how old are you when you had all of these memories?
1: Oh, I lived in that house. Like, I mean, from when I was born until uh, we stayed there until I was about to go into uh Gosh, I guess about to go into high school. Um, and so you went to high
2: school in Orlando. I went
1: to Winter Park High School. Yeah, Winter Park. yeah. And then uh, my undergrad, even I went to Rollins. Oh, you did go to Rollins. I did go to Rollins. I went to night school. Wow, <laughs> that's and I had a scholarship. <laughs> you went to a night school at Rollins. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, I had to. That was the only way I could afford to go there. I had like a very. I had a nice scholarship, and I. I did take out substantial loans as we as we do as we do to go to school. So now. when did
2: you? When did the writing. When did writing begin to bubble up for you? Yeah,
1: I think I'd always kind of been writing, like on my own. It's something I just considered um, mine, and I like to spend time doing that. So I wrote all the time, like stories and, and things, just for myself. Uh, and so when I was in school, I, um, I was, I was trying to get through because I was working at libraries at the time, and what I was trying to do was get through my undergrad so I could go and.
2: Did you? because yeah, I know you're a librarian as yes. well, so. We, did you get your undergraduate degree in library science?
1: I didn't. I got no. it in. Um, I got it in English, um, and then I went and got my master's. Florida State uh, in library, but I I was trying to just get through my undergrad so that I could go and get my master's because uh, I wanted because that's how libraries like work. Like you get paid legitimately like double if you have your master's, which is usually doing like a lot of the same kind of work. Yeah. It's just the degree it's gets you, you the paycheck, degree. which is. Uh, really crazy to me. But uh, yeah, so while I was there, I just, I was like so in love with all the classes I was taking, all my English classes. And I... I loved, uh, they had like a creative writing program there going. Were you involved in in, that? I wasn't. I remember at the time I said, I think I said to a couple people, I was like, oh, I don't want to take the space of somebody who's like, you know, somebody who's good, who's going to like really do. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to take someone's spot. (laughs) And, um, but then it ended up like my last semester there, um, they have a program that they they do called Winter with the Writers. It's run by Carol Frost right now, Uh who's like the chair. And I just heard so much about it and I knew they were having these writers come in. They always have great people like the year that I did it was like they had like Chimamanda Adichie came Carl Hyacin was there that year um a couple other people uh Ilya Kaminsky was there um and he was reading from the original pieces of like Deaf Republic which was incredible uh so I you have to, to be an intern for it. Um, and I, I just decided, like, a couple of my professors, like, just go ahead and try and do this internship. I was working, like, full-time days and, like, going to school at night, but I really, really wanted to do it. And so I, I applied to be an intern, and I got in, and I, I started showing my writing. And it was, like, just – it felt like this, like – oh, this like wonderful experience. You of you had like, all this
2: acceptance.
1: Yeah, acceptance. and feedback and like conversation about writing that I'd never had before and like workshopping and and like looking, like like actively looking at work and sharing it with other people. And then the way that Winter with the Writers works as well as those authors come and they look at your work and give you feedback. So it was having these like established writers like talk with you and be very serious about craft. and And it was like so... It was like a life-changing experience for me.
2: Did you start with fiction and nonfiction or?
1: I think I, I started, right. I was writing a lot of fiction in there. I think like always for me, essays, I was always kind of writing that stuff. I think the internet helped with that, especially because right. there was places I could put like my thoughts because it always just felt like my thoughts. Um, and so I think the first time, the first thing I ever actually had published was um, over at the Rumpus. I wrote, I went to do a fellowship with Lambda and when I came back, I had so many thoughts about being there in like, that queer space with all those writers that Talk were about how important that was for you. It was... Um,
2: and tell me what the fellowship is. Yeah, it's the people.
1: Lambda Literary uh, does every year. They have a group of fellows that they bring in. Fiction, nonfiction, young adult, and usually something like playwriting as well. Um, like dramatic kind of writing. And Where is it? It's always in L.A. Uh-huh. Um, and it's... It's all queer writers and I just, I decided to apply for it because I was writing so much and I knew I wanted to write like about queer women and I was like, oh, it'd be so great to go be in a And space. you don't have to be published. No, you do not. There. Yeah. They, the selection process is they choose based on the, who they think is going to be the best fit and who they think is going to really benefit. Um, but I yeah, I spent a week out there and I worked with uh, Chip Delaney, Samuel Delaney, and uh, it was wonderful it was like not not only that it was just it was like I'd never done a workshop before like that and I got so much feedback about my work and like so much sitting down and talking with other queer writers about like what it's like to kind of be
2: what year was this about
1: it was 2014 and it was uh no I guess it was 2013 and I um I just was thrilled to be there but I had like so many questions because I also like I was I've never really been around other queer writers and queer writing like that before it was all just kind of me on my own. Like an did old you come sailor. out as a young girl? I did not. You did not. My family is very religious and very, um, conservative. So, um, I did not.
2: You intimated that they don't talk to you now or you not?
1: Yes. I, uh, I don't really have a relationship with my family anymore. Uh, Any of your siblings? My sister and I, um, still talk. She's like the most liberal of my.
2: Are they evangelical or? Yeah. They're very Southern
1: Baptist. Uh, My family is a extremely like they have Fox News playing all day at their home. Uh, they, uh, um, it's, Hard to hard. have a relationship with them, like they um like my ex-wife when she and I were married, they wouldn't even speak to her. like my father saw her in the grocery store once and turned around and pretended he didn't know who she was.
2: Um, well you write so lovingly of the father in yeah, in your new book,
1: yeah, I was thinking a lot when I was writing that book about the family dynamics and just like right, like because i I think too, when I'm thinking about my family, like there's things like just the broadness of feeling that you have for people that like that raise you (laughs) like you know you have like have like anger sometimes but then also there's like a lot of love embedded in that and also just like kind of grief and I don't know joy yeah like that's like very broad feelings um uh, yeah no family dynamics
2: it has to be wrenching, particularly if you live in the same community as your, mm-hmm. as your family. I can only imagine the difficulty that you're presented with all the time. But you've been able to forge that into something not bitter, yeah. which is so interesting. I mean, yeah. you know, your book is kind of crazy and wacky and, <laughs> you know, deals with taxidermy yeah. and deals with all of these subjects. But, you know, as a reader of Florida fiction... I'm used to wacky stuff being yeah. you know, whether you mentioned Carl Hiaasen, mm-hmm. Dave Barry, you know, yeah. all of these people, even going back to Charles Williford or, mm-hmm. you know, some of the pulp fiction writers yeah. who are here. But the one thing you do, and I think it comes from hearing you last night and talking to you today and hearing about your background, the one thing you do that most don't is you create such well rounded characters mm-hmm. who are so natural. Mm. in the way that they deal with each other they're really they're they're really believable characters within this unbelievable setting in a lot of ways yeah
1: and I feel like for me that's how I feel about Florida that's right like we're like in this space all the time where like so many interesting things are happening around us all the time but then we're still living like daily lives right and like having almost like I, don't, I think somebody was asking me something the other day about, like, like the animals and, like, things like that. And I'm like, you just kind of are used to it. It's just there. Like, you're just living alongside it. I know I did that tweet that went really viral about, like, the lizard right. <laughs> and the 7-Eleven. Right. And people just lost their shit over that. Yeah. And I was like, it's Florida. There's lizards in the 7-Eleven. Well, I lived,
2: when I grew up, my parents turned our garage into my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I lived with rats and I lived with cockroaches, uh-huh. and I was really good at catching them all. <laughs> and to this day, my wife is from Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, if there's a cockroach, she freaks out, and I'm the one that goes and rescues and yeah. all of that. And so we in Florida are just really used to this yeah, because we're not supposed to be here. Yeah, You know, we're all tourists. We're
1: the invasive species. Yes. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a wonderful
2: book by John Rothschild called Up for Grabs. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read it? Mm-mm. I'll have to get it for you. Yeah. The, the subtitle is A Journey Through Space and Time in the Sunshine State. He grew up in Tampa. Uh-huh. He's... Much older. And I went to Yale and then he wrote for the Yale Daily News. But he wrote this kind of memory of growing up in Florida and the history of Florida. And the great line that he has in there, which I always talk about, is he says, even the Seminoles were tourists. Mm. (laughs) Wow. You know, when you think about it, I mean, Mm. you know, all the indigenous peoples here were pretty much killed off, Mm -hmm. more or less. Yeah. And... We weren't supposed to live on these, you know, the the Everglades and Mm -hmm. bridged in areas and all of that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. It's it's very interesting, too, because I always, I tell this to people, it always feels like the land's trying to take itself back. Yeah. Like, it does feel like, right, like... Oh my gosh, in Florida in the summer, it's like, how often do you have to mow your lawn if you like wanted (laughs) to? It's like every three days or something crazy. Uh, And then, yeah, just uh, like I have these vines that keep going into my air conditioning unit and just like killing it. And I'm like, oh, and then you have no air conditioning. And then there's like, even like I found it like trying to crack into the side of the house. (laughs) I was like, the plant wants to get in. (laughs) So it is funny just to, because I do feel like Florida is like just so alive all the time and it's like trying to Absorb and like try and take take the land back. Right. So I love this. I, I love the idea of like us being the invasive species. I think that's funny.
2: No, I I like <laughs> that too. And we, and you know, a lot of you write about it so beautifully there, and the fact that um taxidermy is at the center of this mm-hmm. and it deals with animals and others talk about
1: that yeah a bit. um well taxidermy was like very interesting to me i know i talked about this a little last night but i was i was looking at so much like bad taxidermy and it was cracking me up like it was just so funny to look at bad taxidermy because i actually like i mean well, t- it- i
2: discussed bad tax oh man okay. where the eyeballs are in the wrong yes. place it's and-
1: so easy to make it fuck it up like to make it look really crazy uh all you have to do is just put an eyeball like wrong and it looks (laughs) like cross-eyed it's so funny looking and and it's kind of terrible because people work so hard they spend like forever like tanning and stretching out the you know like gutting the animal like setting the bones like getting this mannequin like trying to do it and then they just it looks terrifying (laughs) and so goofy and it just and i as a person that like, like likes to make art too like not just like writing like i like crafting and like sewing and doing different things like that it's so funny to me like work so hard on something and then like oh god look at it like look at this thing i frankensteined like this horror This little monster. Uh, So I was like, and also just like growing up in Florida, like there's tons of taxidermy around all the time. That's what I'm wondering. You had, there were
2: taxidermy shops and places. It's all in like,
1: it was in people's houses. We had some in our house. Like my dad had like a giant bass that he'd like caught. Yeah,
2: there was a lot of fish. Yeah. A lot of fish taxidermy. So
1: I just, and I also just, you just kind of live beside it. You don't even see it. Like it's like one of those things where it's like it's around all the time. It almost becomes like weird furniture in your life. (laughs) So like taxidermy was always around, and I never just thought about it. And then when I was, um, when I was writing this little short story that I chucked and then turned into the book, I was just fascinated because I started doing like research. I mean, I wanted to like I wanted it to be authentic, so I was like, you know, let me let me look up some things about it. And the more I looked up, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so involved. There's so much to it. So I did like did like deep dives on the internet. Like I watched so many videos. I went into like, my favorite was going into these like kind of like web forums where people who do taxidermy could like ask each other questions and give each other tips and tricks. And it was like, it was really helpful to me to see how like, these are people who practice this and like, how do they, how do they talk about it? What's the language that they use? Like, this is how I want to sound when I'm, when I'm talking about it. So I didn't try and interact. I didn't ask questions because I felt like that wasn't my space Um, I was like an interloper, but I, I did like really watch like how they talked about the different tools that they used, um, workarounds, like that were cheaper, right? Like cost-effective or stuff that like, like, Oh, this is a better one. This is bad quality. Like, what do you recommend? That kind of stuff was like really fascinating to me too. And also it was very interesting to look at like the, the way that gender worked into it. Cause I would say, the majority of the people that I was like watching or interacting with like taxidermy is a lot of men. Um, and so, but then I was watching how they talked about it and it was this like very loving way that they talked about it. It was like, they're making things, they're making Hmm. art in this way, but in this way that it almost felt like, okay that they could be like talking about creating because it was these hyper ha- masculine dudes that right. like were talking they were you could if you looked at it you're like they're talking about art and they're talking about art in this way that it feels like okay that they can because it's about something they killed. <laughs>
2: yeah, so the question is were they was death overarching as well in all of this? Yeah. Was the fact that they're dealing with dead animals? Part I think of that it? it
1: made it so they were like it's not a feminine thing, right? right. Like oh, it's still masculine, so I'm right. able to kind of make and like create and talk with love about like making art um, which is so interesting to me like on a lot of levels just like the gender things and like how things that are feminine are treated like in crafting versus like what's what's a craft and what's art you know like what's that line and so much of it it becomes like this thing like if it's feminine it becomes not like what's high and low art right. or like what's like so yeah, it was it was really so taxidermy interesting. kind of blurs it a little bit. Yeah, because it involves that that dead animal, especially right. if it's something that they killed themselves, right? Because a lot of hunters like want to do their own taxidermy. So if it's like Oh, well, that I didn't realize. Yeah, well, um in these forums anyway, um it would be like they they'd killed this animal and, and they so they would
2: try to, like, to figure out how to
1: to keep it as like keep it. right? So some of them were like they were talking about like, "Oh, this is it's a trophy," right? But it's you're also remembering it in this very interesting way like you get to pose it how you want like right look at it it's very commanding or like right it's like a bear or something or like it's menacing and then really it can just be like they just kind of shot it all when it's like kind of bumbling around
2: well i love the scenes in your book of of the the disorganization particularly of the mother who's (laughs) starting to create all of these sort of scenes, these tableaus of of animals having sex or different things. I
1: was interested to see, too, because I was like, you know, what does it look like to kind of take apart something like that that you've it's already made and then taking it apart and repurposing? Um, Specifically uh, for her character, because I was thinking so much about what it means to be like, Roles that were like you know wife, mother, very domestic. These are your roles, and this is what you get to do. And then this idea of like getting to break out of that and completely restructure and like reorganize your life and like right, be like a human being, like that has a sex drive, like that's, right. you're a person, not just a mom. Right. Like that was very um, interesting to me, and I loved being able to kind of like like you know what does it mean to kind of repurpose the animal. No, but I what I,
2: I mean, um, what what I really loved. And you don't see it very often. I think that's what has struck so many people who've read this is that you, you didn't create a, um, you didn't create something for the absurdity of it. Yeah. You really, what you did is you hung a very, very beautiful story of family mm-hmm. in this very strange world. Yeah. And so ultimately it is a really naturalistic novel mm-hmm. about the way people react to one another. Yeah. Is, I, that fair, yeah, is that a fair? I, I mean, yeah, you that's think?
1: great. That's I love that. I love that people would get that from it because it felt important to me to. I just wanted I wanted to look at these people um, in their day to day, and and I also wanted to look at how memory functions within that because I was thinking a lot about memory. So even like the structuring of the book.
2: um, The alternating chapters. That was
1: the, because I I don't write outlines. I didn't come into it with an idea about what I wanted to do. That that was one thing I knew I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to alternate because I wanted um, the present to be very linear and to be like almost up to the minute, like this is what we're doing. But I wanted the past to feel like how memory feels, which is so random and like triggered by scent or an image or like, right? So I, they're themed after these meeting animals, which would be memory triggers for Jessa. Um, and I wanted them to be completely out of time. And also for us to just get certain people just through the lens of Jessa. So I wanted only, like Bryn, you only see right. Bryn how Jessa sees Bryn. Like you only get her through Jessa's memories.
2: How much of you is in Jessa? I
1: talk? would say that the things that feel the most like me and Jessa are, I started from this point of thinking about, because I I have like thought about, you know, like emotional intimacy and things like that that are problematic for me or like things that I kind of shy away from. So that's that kernel in me. I, I kind of wanted to open that up and expand in her and see like what that looks like. Um, I think she's, I think she's very funny because I think she doesn't really have like she doesn't really have a a great sense of humor. Like a lot of times she gets, She plays like the straight man in the story, which I think is, I think that's funny because I, I always want to be the one making the joke. So for me, I almost like I was cracking up writing her. Cause I think somebody who's like such a control freak like that is always like really hilarious. Like, uh, whenever anybody, uh, wants to control things so badly that they're like, I'm going to control everyone around me. Like, that's just like destined for failure.
2: Well, the way I read that is that <laughs> she was in a place of of being complete, you know, the, the world around her was completely out of control. Yeah. So yeah. she needed to feel some, she needed to sort of try to manage yeah. it. Yeah. And being, uh, being... The family member that's trying to keep it all together. Yes. I mean, how else to do it? Yeah. But to try to control it all.
1: Yeah. And I also kind of wanted to look at like, okay, so she's been doing this for a while. And like, what's, like, let's look at like a catalyst, right? So her father. Commit suicide, right. And that's going to be the catalyst, and we're going to watch how this. And it's
2: not a spoiler alert because no, it's right at the it beginning happens the right book. at the beginning, yes. and it's very emotional as yes. well. I have to tell you, it yeah. really was.
1: I wanted to, I wanted to see, like, okay, like this is this is going to be like the breakdown of like the the control patterns that you had, you like the workarounds that you used to use, like for getting through the things that you got through, aren't yeah. going to work anymore. And what does that right. look like when those fail? Um, and that's hard. And so it was a. Uh, it was interesting to me to see, especially because I wasn't totally sure how I wanted this story to move forward, because I, I did. I wanted to be surprised like as I worked, and I felt like I was. Like There were certain parts in the book where when things happened, I was like, oh, shit.
2: <laughs> I was interesting last night when you mentioned that you think of yourself, you thought of yourself at first as a short story writer, mm-hmm. yeah. and that this started, the genesis of it started as a potential short story.
1: Yeah, it was... Um, It was interesting to me because I'd never, I'd never even had like, um, before writing this book, I never had an impulse to want to write, um, something this lengthy or like this broad, like a story this big. Um, I, I love short fiction, uh, I love reading short fiction. I uh, I I, <laughs> I, w- I almost just said it, like I like write, like writing. It's a love hate relationship with writing. It's like I love writing, I hate writing. That
2: uh, well, it's always on. It's always there.
1: Yeah, uh, but I love I love sitting inside a short story actually, and f- like it's it's such a thing for me. Also, I've been thinking so much about like how I write, like how the process of how I write a short story versus how I write an essay. And now versus how I write a novel, they're all very, very wildly different processes. Like how I write a short story is usually I get a glut of it out in like two days and then sit and like fidget around on the sentence level and kind of tweak it and get in there and get like real handsy with it. Um, and then when I'm writing an essay, that feels like I'll write it in these chunks and then I'll move the pieces around, um, see like where they fit or expand them or delete or just kind of Fiddle with it that way, this didn't work like that. Could, <laughs> I could not do that with the with this. No. So I had to really be very strict with myself and have rules and kind of just try and get it out of me, so that way I could go in and be like, okay, what do we have here? Is this something? Is it so anything? who is
2: your? Did you have? Did you workshop it? I mean, who who read it? With you, I mean, who yeah, I have to give you. You have readers that
1: give I have you one feet. reader. Um, I feel like I'm very private writing my work a lot of the time. I don't really share it um, before it's done. So I have, I have one reader, uh, Willie Fitzgerald. He's in Austin. He's at uh, Mishner right now. Um, and he, uh, when I feel like I have something, when I feel like I have a, th- I'll send it to him. Um, and he's a good reader for me, I think, because he can see
2: was he a mentor of yours or no we just a friend yeah
1: we met we have a similar sensibility he also he's also just very honest with me which i think is helpful when you're working to you need to hear like some like he can see how i work or like he knows when i'm like leaning into something or shying away or like it's it's helpful to have somebody maybe that for me that knows me and knows my work and knows if I'm not like, you know, not doing the things I'm supposed to do or like, and we can have an honest conversation about what it should look like. So he read, he's the only person before I got this book picked up by the agent, uh, that had read any of it. Um, cause I, I do, I am very private with work. Um, but yeah, and he was he was very helpful in like looking at that. And well, then,
2: and I, I want to stress that it you know we've we've talked about it very seriously, but it's a very funny novel. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really is. Your sense of humor is is in the great tradition of Florida writers who mm-hmm. have senses of humor. But I, you know, I, I haven't experienced a novel like yours in a mm-hmm. very, very long time. Not it's and it's not a regional novel. I mean, it's a novel that that will spark with everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really really uh it's turned a lot of things on its ear. Who and, and it made me start thinking about, you know, who your when you were a kid, mm-hmm. who were some of the influences that you had when you were re- reading because you yeah. obviously were a huge reader yeah. as well. Yeah.
1: And well, a thing for me too about reading is um I had to hide a lot of what I was reading because my parents didn't my family is not did not want me to read a lot of books, um, unless they were Christian books. They would only get me books from like the Baptist bookstore, like devotionals, or like there's this really weird series. Wait, that... I have to
2: stop there. How did you break out of that? I, mean, I would, I would. Did, I remember there's a scene. I, I just dawned on me in that essay mm-hmm. that you wrote mm-hmm. about how you would look out. You and your brother would look out at yeah. at that strip club. Yeah, and you were like. You, yeah. know, you were almost like trying to taste what mm-hmm. was going on there. Yeah.
1: I felt like starved all the time, I think, um, just mentally and like for – especially for books because I was obsessed with books and wanted to read. That's all I wanted to do. So uh, a thing that I would do is I would – if I got copies of a book, um, I would hide them and try and read them. Uh, so I read um, – and the stuff I was interested in, too, I was very interested in, like, kind of pulpy writing. I read every Stephen King I could get my hand on. I love Stephen King. Uh, I read, because um, also to me that felt like, that was reading I read where it felt like, uh, I felt like. You could just. Conversate. It felt like language that I was right. like, this is, like, me talking to somebody. <laughs> like, this, like, I loved, I still love to sit and, like, sit in a lot of those books and just kind of feel like, it feels like you're having, like, someone's. And you're inhabiting
2: a new world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, there's just something so familiar and, like, engaging about a lot of those books. And also because they, they're they funny and scary and tender. Um, and, like, I love to, like, look at how, like, all those emotions kind of work together to kind of amp up horror. Like, to, like, when you have, like, love and, like, grief and, and like, tenderness and intimacy. Like, those things, like, work to make... I was like so I think like even reading those books growing up I was like oh I was like just obsessed with reading them and I was not allowed to read them I was hardly allowed to read anything though but I did um anytime I could get a book um the first book I read that made me be like because I read Stephen King and I knew I was like a reader but I read um I got a copy of Bastard out of Carolina by Dorothy Allison I read that book like just Weeping the whole time. Was there a time. sense of recognition? In I that? felt myself in it, and it was the first book I read where I was like, "I wanted, I want to do this." Like right. I, I'd always been kind of scribbling around, but that book, I was like, "Oh, I could do this, right? Like this is something I could do." I and could it was sing. so
2: groundbreaking when it came out.
1: Uh, and that book for me, um, I know it's not like it's not talking about queerness specifically in the book, but that book feels queer. Yeah. Uh, you you read and you read Bone and you read her and you're like, "Oh wow!" Like this is such a This is such a book. And it's also the first book I read, too, where it was writing about place in the way that I want to write about place. Like uh, Dorothy Allison writes about South Carolina, like that you can't separate it out from the book. Like it's part of the book. Like it feels like it's in there. Like place is so essential to that book that if you took it out, it's not the same book. And that's like when I was when I'm writing. Um, I want place to feel so important in my work that if you took it out, it would not be the same work anymore. And that that feels so important to me. And that book, um, Bachelor to Carolina, oh my gosh, you feel South Carolina in that. You like taste it kind of like, it's incredible. So. Did it
2: for you to be able to feel like you could write about anything at that point?
1: Yeah. And also just to be like, oh, you can write, you can write a, a young girl that's like this. Right. Um, right? Because she's so she's just so queer and uncomfortable and like desperately unhappy, but then also like full of joy. And then like, you know, like it has like, there's so many, like, it was so interesting to read that character and see how Dorothy did it because I was like, Oh, it was almost like, Oh, I, I can write this. Like, Oh, that's like, there's space for it. Or, Oh, there's like, like, here I am like finding myself in that text was like, just phenomenal what a great
2: acknowledgement you know. of the power of what a book can do yeah particularly for a young person who mm-hmm. is feeling trapped yeah in a world that is not of their own making yeah a similar we had a we had marlon james on our mm-hmm. podcast yeah. and he grew up in a very similar environment that you did mm-hmm. but in jamaica yeah and his family was extremely religious and he had to find his outlets wherever he could many of them were in comics and other kinds of things as well yeah and you know you i guess you can't imprison the mind in any real way Mm -hmm. and i think that that segues into your work as a librarian i mean that you must be one of the greatest (laughs) librarians i mean (laughs) if i was a kid coming in and meeting you as a librarian say okay what should i read yeah it would be amazing i mean it's kind of like what we do in the bookstore in a way but Mm But libraries are so democratic and so important. Yeah. Do you still practice as a librarian?
1: Yeah. I'm taking a break right now um, from working just because I'm going to be on book tour. um, And it's like library work is so like labor intensive and you have to be there. Like when I was at the library, I would be working like 60 hours. Where are you? You're in Orlando? Yes. Yeah. Um, I was working. I was um, working at a law library heading up their circulation department, um, which was – interesting to me I mean I didn't I don't know anything about like uh like law or law materials but then you, you just have to get like acquaint yourself with the collection right so that you can help but I think librarianship for me too is like I've always just wanted to know about things and I was always so interested and always like it's like I was saying, like really starving to want to know, and so like, what is it like? Librarianship is just like all about that. Like, well, it's, it's like, all about
2: meeting people as well. It is. So it's it, a, must, it's very it must. It must help fuel your imagination. To, it you know, I'm sure there it does. are characters that come out of this. Oh my
1: gosh! Yes, Uh and it is. And it's like it's such a community space. Like every library is its own specific community because that's what libraries are supposed to do. Like if libraries are doing the work they're supposed to do, then they're they're meeting the needs of their specific community. Um, So you have, like, just these, like, this collection of characters, like, people that come in. And, like, I also think it's so interesting, too, because libraries have this, like, interesting way of, like, people come in and it's, like, I almost forget that you're there. So it's, like, you're just, like, you just are watching them behave in these kind of ways and do different things and talk to each other in these very weird ways that you're like, you know, no, I can hear you. I can hear you. <laughs> what what's the,
2: what's one of the strange things? That oh,
1: wow. Thinking? Oh my gosh. There's just been so many very funny things. Uh, I don't know if I told this one last night. No, I think I just told my copy machine story. I was working in a public library and the children's librarian had bought a bunch of, um, um stuff for summer reading program. And she got this basket of sand dollars and she's like, I'm going to give these out. So if people come up, they could just take a sand dollar. And so she set it next to the computer. And then, uh, so this elderly gentleman came up and he had like, um, stack of mysteries, you know, check out the books. And she's like, no, sir, you, would you like one? And he goes, Oh, and he goes,
0: oh, he, <laughs> he
1: stuffed eating. it in his mouth and chomped it. And I, lost it I was like crying and she was like oh sir no 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 and then he's just like (laughs) spitting out this that was like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life but it was always just like you know that's like a silly thing but then you'll hear people like people sing in the library you hear people's phone conversations because they're on their phone and talking to each other
2: well they tend libraries tend to also attract lonely people Mm. to a large extent
1: yeah people come up to and just like ask you for the weirdest things like one time somebody asked me for my used toothbrush um for your use my used toothbrush And I don't even want to know why I'm not, I did not ask. I just said, no, you know, uh, and then like, oh gosh, uh, one time somebody asked to, um, oh, there's so many things if they could like, people come up and ask for gum. They come up and ask, uh, if they could, um, come in the back and use like the microwave they'll like <laughs> try and uh oh somebody picked up my coffee one day and like i kind of took a sip of it and i was like what that? it's just always it always feels like
2: it's very communal it, it is <laughs> i was just like way. i was
1: like you would not do this anywhere else but you right. walked in this library and you picked up another human being's coffee <laughs> why
2: well that's really, that's really really funny um well to to change Years, just a little bit mm-hmm. tell me what life today is like in central Florida mm. and particularly I, I know you know in the, in the aftermath of the Pulse the mm-hmm. Pulse nightclub shootings you know what is the the, the queer community like in, in yeah. Orlando is it has it flourished is it still yeah. as repressed in some ways mm-hmm. as it used to be
1: I think that um, I, would, I would say the queer community and even like the arts community are creeping out and growing in these ways. Um, I don't think there's still not a bunch of queer nightclubs or queer spaces like that. There just aren't. Um, but there's definitely more of a feeling of community now. Um, I think that. Orlando's trying, the community in Orlando is trying very diligently to, to make that grow. And people who maybe, like when I was growing up there, you know, people were like, can't wait to leave and get out of here. Like, I don't want to, like, especially if you were like queer or like an artist or a writer, like wanting to do music, like you just didn't want to stay there because there's not anything for you. Um, So people like leave. Um, And I think now specifically, there's a feeling of like I want to stay and, and I want build. to help build it. Right. And that's lovely to me. Like that makes my heart feel a lot of feelings. Uh, but uh, I, I, you can see the kind of steady progressive growth, specifically in like. Well, that whole area has yeah. become more progressive. It as has. Yeah. Well. I mean, yes. at one point,
2: that was a completely red area. Yeah. And now it's become. The I-4 corridor is mm-hmm. much more blue than Yeah. America.
1: And I think some of that too is just like younger people are staying here and they're well, not and going. And the universities there have mm-hmm. grown. I mean, yep. The
2: University of Central Florida Far- Central is now one of the largest schools It's humongous, in, yeah, in the country.
1: I yeah. Think. So you have people who are staying and also people who are doing like, staying and doing like more like community businesses and things. Right. Like we have a um, over where I just had my book launch where Park Ave CDs is now, there's like a bunch of younger people staying there who want to like have community spaces and are building businesses and doing like, like, how can we grow, but like grow together, which is incredible. So that's just been wonderful. And I think that helps with like, right when there's community like that, then it helps for everybody. And I, and the queer community has been like that too, because everybody's just really involved in kind of growing.
2: So you see yourself staying in Orlando?
1: I do. I mean, you know, I can't speak forever. I think it's like probably not a good thing for me to say like i'll never go anywhere else but i just it just is my heart it feels like special to me um so there's never been any other place i've gone to where i felt like i wanted to be there more than home uh like and also home just feels like needs me
2: well the the cool thing now too is that you can communicate with people all over the world with the internet Mm -hmm. and your twitter following is is one of the most I spent the last few nights reading you have,
1: <laughs> oh no <laughs> you have something like
2: 60,000 tweets or if not more than oh, yeah. like 80,000 tweets yeah. and I started reading sort of the different threads mm-hmm. and the, con- the, the 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 contact you've made with your readers is yeah. kind of amazing it's About,
1: been great it,
2: to, you have a conversation going all the
1: time yeah i think um it was
2: so you don't have to. You don't have to move. You I can don't. Stay where yeah. you are And it's and been have nice to
1: just know a lot of different writers, other places, and just go visit and right. spend time with them. Uh, yeah. But even
2: non-writers. I mean. For sure. Just, yeah. There's I mean, just so many. People. I learned. I have to say, I did not know about the whole ravioli thing
1: <laughs> before I
2: before I took a deep dive into your. Uh, Technically,
1: this conversation is a ravioli. It's a ravioli? Mm. It
2: does. It certainly is. Uh, <laughs> I think. We're going to be eating some ravioli type things. <laughs> like this could be a ravioli at some point, I think. But it's really, uh, it's really been interesting to see the proper use of Twitter yeah. <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. And as a respite from this crazy political world we are. Yeah. Because typically, what invades my Twitter is every political yeah. thing that's going on.
1: I think, and I, I know it's just right. There's a lot of like rage and like a lot of sadness and a lot of a lot uh, it's overwhelming maybe is the best way to describe it um and so
2: well we live in a state of much frustration yes because uh, uh, very few votes could have changed mm-hmm. the entire tenor of the state we yeah. live in yeah in this last election
1: and that's that's frustrating oh it really is. it's very frustrating so um i think a lot of the time i'm just i'm sitting on twitter and i'm usually thinking like Because everything just feels so absurd to me. So then I'm just, I'm like, let me just sit in this and be dumb and absurd and try and like, just be that for a little bit and have it be away from this kind of feeling of kind of hopelessness that feels like sometimes because I don't. I don't want to sit in that and I don't think that's productive. At least not for, I don't want to sit in hopelessness and feel like
2: that. No, at some point you have to get beyond that. Particularly in a state in which mm-hmm. when you read any book about, about climate change or anything, mm-hmm. the very first thing they open with is a catastrophe happening in the state of Florida. Yeah. And we have to get beyond that. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um. um what are you reading now? I mean, you know, there are two things I want to know from you because mm-hmm. last night when you talked about it, it educated me in a way that was spectacular. Mm. So I'd love to know some of the people you're reading now
1: mm. as well. Yeah. Um, I've been reading uh, a lot of, because there's just so many books that have come out. So many right? good so books. So good. I, I think I said this last night, but I have a copy of Jamie Attenberg's book that's coming out um all this could be yours and that's phenomenal it's a very new orleans book and it's incredible that is i've gone through that twice now i think that's like, i
2: can't wait to read it then
1: it's fabulous um also uh i mean i just was in conversation with her but takira madden's um long live the yeah, tribe of fatherless girls she's what a gorgeous gorgeous book um and very a florida, florida yeah well. like boca um yeah. And then uh, Esme Wang's uh, Collected Schizophrenias, which was such a gorgeous book um, and so fascinating to me. I read that and in such a, I tried to like be, read it really slowly actually because I was just like, I feel like I was eating like a really good meal and I wanted to like just eat it so slowly. Um, I really want Jakira Diaz's book, so I'm hopeful that I can get a copy of
2: No, that. there are galleys floating around. We yes. may even have one if we do oh and we'll go look God. for it afterwards.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Cause I really want to, I've been, I'm obsessed with her writing and I can't, I can't wait to read that book. Um, I've been reading, uh, I've been rereading Kelly Link recently. Uh, her last, uh, get into trouble. Uh, I've been rereading her short stories. She's like always cracks me up too. Cause she's like always making those tweets about writing a novel. Cause she's always in the, in the process of writing it. And she's like, don't ask me about it anymore. But I love her short fiction so much um, because it does all these things that I really want to do in my writing. Um, and I, she does it so beautifully, like so funny and the ways that people talk to each other are so authentic. Um, and also she has this way of um, crafting a sentence or an idea or a thought where it's the exact right way. Oh, like you think to yourself when you read it, like a description, like that's the exact right way to describe that thing, but I've never thought of it like that before. And that's like beautiful. I think Karen Russell does that too. I just read uh, her short picture and that was yeah. fabulous. Um, uh, yeah, Isn't I've, it
2: amazing all of these mm-hmm. Florida writers who are – yeah. Who are coming into their own. I it's love it. It's exciting for me because I it's a new it. generation for me of mm-hmm. writers that uh, 15, 20 years ago were not on were not on the scene as much.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's just it's lovely to see.
2: I think the other lovely thing is how publishing is now so open mm-hmm. to diverse voices. Yes. Which they weren't five, six, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I said Bastard out of Carolina was a huge breakthrough. Right. But publishing stayed away from that. Now publishing is, the door is completely open for so many things to get published these days.
1: It was really interesting to me, too, because I was thinking so much about that book. Um, it was very formative for me, obviously. But then I went and, like, I was interested to, like, look at reviews of it. Right. And I was, like, looking at, like, reviews of it. And people were like, well, this book just was unsuccessful. And I was like, I guess it just goes to show you that, like, <laughs> you know, like, not every not everyone's a reader, I guess. But it was fascinating to me because, for me, that book, I was like, that book was like a revelation. And I think well, it did and, so And anything. it was a very successful
2: book. Yeah. I mean, beyond the reviews. Yeah. So but it, it was so just so
1: interesting. To see yeah. like how people saw it versus. But you know how what? Was it was interesting
2: too. Is that I think at the time there were so many people when that book came out. I mean, there were really so many closeted people mm-hmm. who bought that book in order to allow themselves the freedom, yeah, to be able to express what their inner yeah. feelings were. Yeah, and I've seen that over the years. You know, I've been a bookseller for forty years now. So mm-hmm. in the early, early days you know everything was so constricted yeah and the fact that the fact that the lid is off right now is to me the most hopeful thing that yeah. we have yeah i mean if you were in that reading last night just the fact mm-hmm. you know as as an older person just hearing the discussion and the freedom of the discussion yeah. and the naturalness with which everybody was talking about everything else yeah as a as as a as a, as a parent of children who feel that way and understand that mm-hmm. it's just so wonderful, and so freeing. Yeah. You know, while we have these this dichotomy going on mm-hmm. with a horrible political situation, mm-hmm. yet at the same time our social situation mm-hmm. seems to be so much better in terms of how people are so much more accepting. Yeah. Of unusual points of view that would have seemed unusual years ago. Yeah. Than I now
1: I do love the the ability to have a conversation for me specifically about queerness and work yeah. it's like lovely to sit down and have a conversation that is so broad and also because people are all so different but also similar in Completely. these kind of ways um and so it's it's been lovely to have these conversations and also just to have like queer people read my work and want to talk with me about the queerness in my work has been
0: like
2: well it also inspires a lot of other writers
1: and that is like
2: which is phenomenal i i
1: want to read a bunch of well, queer work like yes please like and that, to com- be yeah.
2: completely natural as well yeah. and honest about it yeah um yeah that that that's really uh that's a hallmark of of what you've done you somebody asked you last night and you said you, you want to identify. In fact, in your biography that you put, it's right there front and center. Mm-hmm. You know, they said, do you think of yourself as a Florida writer or a queer writer? Mm-hmm. And you said, I like to think of myself as both.
1: Yes, I, and I do. Um, it, it was very important to me. And I made that decision very specifically to um, include that I am a queer writer because I want that to be Like I want to, I own that about myself and that is like who I am and what I want my work to be. And I also want other people to feel like a freedom that they can say that too, and like have like, like if the work can be just queer work. And that was like when I was looking for a publisher for this book, um, I knew that that was something I was like, I knew I wanted it to stay very queer. So anybody I talked to, that was like the one thing I was like, you know, we want to work together on this book. Then I need to know. That you're not going to change. That this is what this is. Right. At the heart of this book, I, it's a gay book. And I want it to be, I want it to stay like that. And I want to know that you have, you share that vision with me. Um, and Tin House was on board right away. But they put yeah. out like such good queer work all the time that I felt very confident and comfortable with being with them.
2: And it's all universal though too. Yeah. I mean that's, mm-hmm. that, I mean that really is the the, the wonderful um uh evolution Mm -hmm. of of writing these days i mean it's 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 not it is what it is Mm -hmm. you know to a a large extent yeah and you accept people and it's human and there's humanity in it Mm -hmm. and i think everybody can read it yeah you know it's not it's not it's you know it's really good that you talk about that, but you don't have to be a Floridian and you don't have to be queer yeah, to read this book.
1: Absolutely, for you sure. Know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the
2: genesis and the origin of it. Yeah. But really, I mean, the scenes that most people will identify will be very different from anyone else. Yeah. And and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's it's not one it doesn't have it's not in one particular silo, I don't think. Yeah. And you've done something very remarkable. Something you should be really, really proud of. Thank you.
1: I feel I feel glad. I re- I love. I love, and I love how it turned out. And I think it's beautiful too. It's like a very pretty book. <laughs> and, the, and
2: two other things. One is I have to really thank you for the way you support independent bookstores oh. and small business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been pretty amazing. Oh. It's it's the textbook way of how to work with independent bookstores. Oh, thank and, you.
1: It's, it was my pleasure. It's my pleasure to do that. And
2: it means a lot to all of us. Oh. And the second thing is you, uh, last night someone asked you about the playlist for the book uh-huh. and you, uh, <laughs> you mentioned musicians and I wasn't able to write them all down. Oh, sure, yeah. And I hadn't heard of any of them. And, oh. And I want to make sure that I know all of
1: them. Yeah. Uh, when I was writing this book, I listened to uh, a lot of St. Vincent. Well, St. Vincent I heard. Yeah. And Mitski. Uh, Mitski, I don't know. Yeah, Mitski is wonderful. Yeah, she just had an album come out like this past year. It's called Be the Cowboy. It's very good. Um, I listened to uh, Speedy Ortiz uh the breeders um <laughs> yeah they uh i listened to like a lot of like uh, oh elastica a lot of like female fronted a lot of female fronted bands um but specific i did i listened to a ton of saint vincent and mitski mitski's so great
2: i i want to i want to end the podcast with two things mm-hmm. one is i want to read this marvelous uh, quote from karen russell yeah. that appears on the book and karen says mostly dead things is one of the strangest and funniest and most surprising first novels i've ever read a love letter to florida and to family to half-lit swamps and the 7-eleven and to the beasts that only pretend to hold their poses inside us in Kristen arnett's expert hands Taxidermy becomes a language to capture our species' impossible and contradictory desire to be held and to be free. She she knows how to turn a phrase. Yes, like she you. does. And the other thing I'd like to do is ask you if you could mm-hmm. to read a little passage from here, sure, yeah, if you don't mind. I know that I've sprung this on you, but
1: yeah,
2: uh, a short passage would be great, even if it's part of the opening or whatever you might want to do.
1: Absolutely, sure. Let me. Um Maybe I can read, um, I can read. Actually, you know what? I'll read from here, I'll read over. The tumor sat on the metal table, my father's knife still stuck in it. He took the blade by the handle and pressed on either side of the mass with his fingers until it pulled free. Wiping it against the other rag, he turned and offered it to me. Overhead, the air conditioning hummed to life again. The breeze was cool against my neck as I took the knife. It was solid in my palm, the curvature of the handle fitting just inside the crease where my hand closed. He beckoned me around the table, and I stood in front of him, contemplating the buck's substantial bulk. Being this close, I was enveloped in the odor of his aftershave. It reminded me of Christmas trees, piney and musky, a smell that wouldn't scare off a deer. Behind us, Milo dragged in the yellow mop bucket. Some of the water splashed over the lip and onto the floor as he struggled through the doorway. Our mother called to him from the front of the shop. My father turned away from my brother and leaned down to whisper in my ear. You're natural, just like your dad. It felt right. It felt like I'd been doing it forever. I could see the exact place I'd set the blade and stripped the animal, knew how we'd replicate the skeleton with trusses and padding and roughed forms. I could see where the tanned hide would fit over the preparation. A strong, hardy deer, head uplifted, sniffing the wind. Inserting the tip of the blade into the opening, I pulled forward carefully. I let myself love the buck on the table. I caressed its soft, sweet body. My father put his hand on my shoulder and squeezed lightly. Leaning forward, I braced my arm against the cool metal of the table and looked into the cavity where the flesh separated from the skin. In the dark heart of its carcass, I saw my future mapped out in gristle. I was my father's daughter, and I loved him fiercely. We both had identical hands, and neither of us could roll our tongues. Both of us snapped using our ring fingers, which we thought was very funny. There were permanent frown lines etched between our eyes. We liked the crust-soft pizza and the tartness of lemon squeezed in water. There was a security in seeing myself mirrored back. Our shared love of the animals. The way we could be in a room and stay silent, comfortable in our skins as long as we were together. No one knew me like him. No one understood him like his daughter. Not so different from us, Jessa. He tugged my braid. Just guts and blood.
2: So <laughs> remarkable. Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. Thanks for being on the Literary Life.
1: Thank you so much for having Good me. Good
2: luck with the rest of the tour, Thank and you. I know that it's going to take America by storm.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs>